When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch in the fuck out of shit. Yeah, you know it's Binge Boys, the program where Lon Harris and me, Hal Rudnick, talk about streaming, streaming news, and also just regale each other with witticisms and whimsy. Lon Harris, how are you, you bearded menace? You know, uh, I, I might be a little off today. I got a, I got a vaccine yesterday, not COVID. We're not getting into the vaccine. It's not a COVID vaccine show. Okay, We're not talking yeah. about COVID. I don't want to get into it. It's a whole thing. I always said, oh, Lon, we got to pick a side of the great vaccine debate. And Lon always said, no, we're I, coming down. We are not going to weigh in. I'm agnostic. <laughs> Listen, if you don't want to get vaccinated, uh, good luck to you. I needed to get the, the Tdap vaccine because uh, my my brother, uh, they're going to they're gonna have a baby. Oh, Mazel tov. There's, thank you. There's going to be a baby soon. And if you're around a baby, I didn't even know this. If you're going to be around a baby, you're you're supposed to get like a tetanus, diphtheria. Like you get vaccinated for all the stuff you could accidentally give a baby. I oh. thought those were one and done forever. Like I thought unless you like if you step on a rusty nail, you get a tetanus shot. But I thought other than that, I thought I was done with tetanus and diphtheria uh, no, no. Like you, you're as an adult. I guess you're supposed to get those every ten years as an adult. Really? You're supposed to be getting a booster. But anyway, so I got. I went to CVS. It's very easy. It's 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 free. For I guess if you have insurance, maybe it's free. Okay. And I go to CVS and I get it yesterday. And I thought I would be fine because COVID. I've had other vaccines and they don't impact me. This one has really for a, a full day now. This one has kicked my ass. Oh, wow. It's knocked you through a loop, huh? I have felt sick and my, my arm is still sore. I feel out of it totally. And like for a full day and people when people were freaking out about the covid vaccine, like all these side effects and it's oh, miserable. I'm sick for days. I thought that was other vaccines. Don't do that. It was just covid was making people feel sick afterwards. And that's why people were so suspicious what is this thing doing to me? But no, I guess every vaccine can make you feel sick after you take it. Huh. Uh, you know, I, that makes sense to me because your body is just uh, getting this this viral load. Yeah, you're fighting load. off an infection, right. You yeah. Know, a small one. But... A tiny viral load. Yeah. That's what I've called um, my uh, sex excretions before. Oh. Tiny viral load. Yeah, no, I get it. It's just... Lon, why'd I go there? I don't know. I can't Boy. help myself. Boy, oh, my God. That, that People Not are even shutting necessary. off the podcast Not in disgust. Like... Oh, we're less than five minutes in, and I've gone blue. Yeah, it's not even like viral load is like a ra like an innuendo you had. To, it's like it's a stretch anyway. I think that uh, really sums me up in a nutshell, folks. Yep. 
Thanks for listening to Binge Boys. Sorry to have offended you. Tiny nutshell, huge load. That's what they say about <laughs> Hal Rudd. Oh, Lon, you really uh, you painted a picture right there. Uh, yes. Uh, well, uh, good luck to you and your brother and the, and the new you. family. Uncle Lon, is this the first time you could be called Uncle Lon? This is like, yeah, this will be the first time. I, I, you know, you're, you're not like you're not supposed to talk about it. But here's the thing. What? These, these people listening don't know my fucking brother. They don't know. They don't. They, it's not like they could pick him out of a lineup. And so it's it's a hypothetical baby I'm discussing from their vantage point. Yeah, that's it might all as good. well not even exist. They don't. There's no connection there. I don't feel like this is jinxing it or whatever. I'm not supposed to. Say I always it. found it like a, a little weird and witness protectiony when people will post pictures of their new baby. But then they'll blur out the face or they'll put like an emoji yeah. over the face like, oh, I'm not going to let you steal my baby's soul so early. Or like, what is that? Why do people say like, well, I'm not going to social mediaize my baby? The kid, right. It's it's like the kid can't consent. I think I think in the post influencer and child influencer era, people are very sensitive about that idea that kids haven't signed on to be part of your Instagram presence like you get to choose how much of your life is private versus public. But when you just post somebody's photos, you're taking that choice away from them. So I think a lot of parents are becoming more sensitive to that. But it is, I do think it's funny when they do that for very, like for kids, I get it. But for infants, as a guy who does not have a baby of his own, I got to be honest with you, parents, uh, they all look the fucking same. Like they, they, everybody's baby look, there's like, there's like 5% gradation in there in your bay. Like somebody a little bit cuter, a little bit less cute. Uh, I don't want to say ugly. I guess there are some babies that are a little ugly. But uh, but anyway, but it's not that it's not that diverse a range. Most babies look like like the same to me. Yeah, no, I feel similarly. Dog pictures, give them to me all day. Baby, yeah. you're getting the stiff arm. Well, there aren't different I'm breeds. I'm swiping left on those babies. I'm swiping right on the dog pictures. Yeah, dog picture, it's like, oh, that's, what is that, a Chihuahua Pomeranian mix? Like, there's, that's instantly recognized. A baby, it's like, you know, race, and you're not supposed to comment on that anyway. Be like, look at that. That is, is that a Mexican baby? Like, you can't do that like you could with oh, a dog. Oh, yeah, now you're wading into into problematic waters there, Lon. Why, well, why, do you, saying, like, why are a, you trying to racially profile babies? Well, I'm saying with a dog breed, that's what you would do. If somebody shows you a picture of their new dog, you could be like, oh, is that an Alaskan husky? What is that? But you can't do that with somebody. Yeah, baby. like, um, if you call uh, a a baby in Alaskan Husky, you're calling it like a fat Inuit. You're calling it like a fat Inuit baby. Especially, and if they're not Inuit, they really don't appreciate that. The yeah, well, so like, wait, what are you implying? So I think we've uh, really came to the heart of the matter here. Lon needs to stop racially profiling yeah. babies like he's a I'm just PSA saying, I don't agent think with a bone to blur out your, your baby's picture because I won't know that baby if I saw them on the street anyway. It's like, I, it just baby. It just reads generic baby to me. Yeah. Um, ba I'm although, Jeffrey Wright from Westworld when you're like, that doesn't look like anything to me. It's exactly but, that. I will say this, everyone, like there is, uh, you're right, for the most part, I think 5% gradation in the babies, but I think there are definitely babies where it's like, oh, I see that baby, cute baby. And then every once in a while, it's like, I see that baby, ooh, woof. <laughs> no, oh no, uh, oh, um, okay, that's a baby. That's a, 
Uh, That's what I always think when people blur out. Don't look at my two-week-old baby. It's like, oh, it means nothing to me. I don't know. Just like a little humanoid blob wrapped in some blankets. I, I can't tell what it looks like. Yeah. No, no, distinct. doesn't have any tattoos or scars or distinguishing marks yet, so I'm at a loss. <laughs> yeah. yeah, give that kid something to stand out. Pierce its ears already. Yeah. How did that baby get a five-inch dueling scar down its cheek? That's, uh, that is a uh, rough-and-tumble baby. Or, hey, Gen Z parents, that septum piercing is a little soon. It's a little young for body mod, yeah. All right, let's talk about the news, Hal. I feel like... The news with Lon. Uh, according to Bloomberg, Apple plans to spend $1 billion with a B on original theatrical movies in order to boost their Hollywood profile, promote Apple TV+. Plus. They, they've got, we don't know because Apple doesn't give away numbers, but the estimate, Hollywood's best working estimate is that Apple TV+, Plus has about 20 to 40 million subscribers, which is not bad but way less than your Netflixes and your Disney mm-hmm. Pluses. They're in the hundred million, hundreds of millions at this point. Oh, so, yeah. So <clears throat> they are leaving Apple TV Plus behind. Apparently, Tim Apple, not super happy about that, looking to get back into this thing. Right. So uh, this is the plan. They've already got a few really big, high-profile movies in the works. There's that Scorsese, DiCaprio, Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah, which uh, DiCaprio is going around saying... It's a masterpiece. I'm a part of a masterpiece. You heard it here first, folks. The guy who's in it says it's a masterpiece, so and he would know. Uh, there's that Joaquin Phoenix Napoleon movie. Oh, the, uh, yeah, Ridley, Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott's Napoleon movie with Joaquin Phoenix. And then there's Argyle with Henry Cavill, a sort of a sophisticated international spy oh, thriller thing. Oh, yeah, about the guy who invented the socks. About the, yes, about the inventor of that weird The pattern, inventor of Argyle Triangle socks. pattern, yeah. Which you can also find on a sweater now and again. Yeah, well, I think Argyle is the name of that pattern, I mm-hmm. think. And then that pattern is what appears on the socks, correct? Oh, we might. Did we talk about this before? And I was like, oh, I hope Argyle is the story of the limo driver from Die Right, Hard. yeah, maybe <laughs> we did. I think we did. Anyway, those are all, like, coming soon. But Apple's going to keep funding big projects like this and then bringing them into theaters before they come to Apple TV+. Plus. They're oh. also reportedly rumor- uh, thinking about jumping in and bidding on English Premier League soccer rights as well. Of course, they already have Friday Night Baseball. So oh, Apple yeah. looking to break into more sports, looking to do movies, anything that'll get you tuning in to Apple TV Plus more often. Lon, you know how you break into sports? How's that? Practice, practice, practice. Eh, it's, you know, that's it's oh. Carnegie Hall. Carnegie Hall, really. But Yeah, listen, I paraphrased an oldie. What a goodie. Uh, despite earlier reports that Arrested Development would be leaving Netflix forever, the streamer has inked a new deal with 20th Television and Imagine, the owners. All five seasons are going to stay on Netflix, and it's an exclusive deal, which means that the first three seasons, which have been up until now available on Hulu, going away, getting pulled from Hulu. You'll have to watch... Uh, Arrested Development on Netflix if you want to stream it. Uh, Disney is holding on to the broadcast TV rights, so they could still syndicate it somewhere or put it on, you know, Disney Channel or one of their cable networks if they want to, but no more streaming for anyone other than Netflix. Of course, those first three seasons were on Fox. Then Netflix picked up two additional seasons Mm -hmm. in 2013 and 2019. Right. 
Uh, yeah, Netflix made its own two seasons, right? Right. In 2013 and 2019, those two seasons were Netflix produced and exclusive to Netflix always. There was a six-year gap between those two seasons? Yeah. 2013 was the first one, and then 2019 was the most recent Whoa, season. Whoa. I had no, I, man, I did not recall that. Uh, and let me ask you this. Something I can't wrap my head around, but you were kind of alluding to. You're in this these waters as you're talking about the... Arrested Development rights. Like, it seems like Seinfeld, like you can see it, like it's on all these different TV channels. Yeah. The, uh, the syndication rights. I guess the syndication rights are different than uh, the streaming rights. Oh, totally. Yeah. Syndication yeah. and streaming, almost always they're broken apart because the owners are, you know, Netflix owns the streamer, but it doesn't have you know, the networks to like it, the, the ownership at this point is so confusing and convoluted with cable TV. Mm. Those are split. So yeah, they call those the linear rights, like the broadcast TV, the cable TV, those are the linear rights. And then the digital rights or the streaming rights would be a separate deal. But I, I do think as long as you're sort of bringing this up, I do think it's really interesting. There mm. seem to be very few shows, even if you think about shows when they were on the air that were super, super popular. Only really a very small handful of them survived to this day and are still, like, there's really only so many Big Bang Theories, Friends, Seinfeld. There were so many popular sitcoms back in that era. Mm -hmm. And even stuff like That 70s Show was popular enough to, there's a That 90s Show and they're yeah. still revisiting it. But... You never see that 70s show on TV anymore. Like, it's only the handful of biggest ones that are still syndicated. Yeah, I I, I guess you're right. Because, you know, you have plenty of Everybody Loves Raymond's, King Right, Raymond, Big Bag Theory, Scrubs. Two and a Half Men. Two and a Half Men, right. Those are the big ones. But there's so... Sit, I mean, think about how many sitcoms there were going back decades. And, I'm, you know, obviously, like, Mary Tyler Moore's time has come. But, like, there's so many. You could keep going for like, even Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Like, that's got a new remake on the air. But where are those shows being syndicated? That's gone forever. Is Nick at Night still a thing, Lon? I don't even know. I mean, I don't watch cable anymore. Yeah. So a lot of this is just me being in the dark about it. But Sure, like, sure. It's fascinating to me. Like, the, the amount of TV there is versus such a small, narrow window of it really survives beyond a 10-year time frame. Oh, completely. We used to live in a world where it was one-hour dramas and half-hour sitcoms, and every network had a slew of them. Oh, and think about the longevity. When I was a kid in the 80s... At night, Nick at Night used to air 50s and 60s shows all the time. I grew up watching My Three Sons, I Love Lucy, uh, Donna Reed, like all those old shows. And like, that's not a thing anymore. Like Seinfeld and Friends. Those are the old sitcoms that kids today would know. That's it. When I was a kid, we'd sit in front of the radio and listen to the radio man spin yarns. No, I'm serious, but like, think about it. Like, Old sitcoms had a long shelf life when we were kids. Like oh no, that you like Gilligan's Island would play after school. Uh, yeah, All in the Family would have reruns. Uh, the the, uh, the Jefferson Sanford yeah, and Son decades. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the Odd Couple was just the Odd Couple. At exactly, exactly. I grew up watching all these shows. Like they were new. I love, love, love those. Uh, some of those shows to this day. Yeah, I mean, that informed a lot of my sense of humor was watching, like, the, yeah, the Jeffersons was like, 
That was, so like, good. as relevant to me as a show that was new, even though I was watching it long after it had been on the air in syndication. Like, Absolutely. what's happening? I mean, geez, man. There's just no shelf life anymore. Once it's done, it's done. And this has been another edition of Lon and Hal Reminisce. Uh, you can catch more reminiscence behind the paywall, behind the paywall on our Patreon. Just know, folks, that while we've been having this conversation, I have been whittling. You can't see. I muted it so you couldn't hear, but I have been. I'm making a nice little sailboat. Oh, it's coming together. I can see the form uh, of the ship. Uh, is it, you don't whittle a sailboat. You whittle like a horse. You could whittle a, like a little sailboat, but I don't would, even know. But I don't you know. You need a thick piece of wood, or maybe like whittle a hole and then put a separate. I I wish I was better. Oh, at you know what you could whittle a canoe. A canoe. What's whittling? But when you're doing it on a big thing, that's a different word. You like sculpt a canoe. Wave the canoe. No, you don't. Sculpting. <sighs> Write us in, folks, and tell us. Don't what get you're... mad at me for not knowing. Whittling is when you're doing it, like, in your hand, like, in the palm of your hand, like you're an old man. And Calm that's down, Lon. You're getting a whittle testy. You're getting a whittle testy. Oh, boy. Jesus Christ. All right. Let's move on. Uh, <laughs> let's move on to something cheery. A horse died. No! <laughs> on, the set, on the set of Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power this week in the U.K., there are conflicting reports about what happened to this horse. The Daily Mail says the horse suffered cardiac arrest while charging at the camera with a bunch of other horses in full costume like it was a battle scene. Yeah. Uh, but the production is saying the horse was just standing around with a few other horses when it had cardiac arrest and it just collapsed and died. I heard a third thing that it got bitten by one of those goddamn orcs. I... Uh, you mean between takes, the orc got loose and bit a Yeah, horse. the orc was like, me hungry. <laughs> Meat's like, back on the menu, boys. Yes. They're like, no, jeez. Oh, that's the trouble Rumthor, working with orcs. Don't, don't eat the horses. Uh, yeah, the two problems working with orcs, they'll eat any animal on set. And number two, they'll also pull some of that Frank Langella shit. That's the, <laughs> that's the old Hollywood adage. Don't work with orcs or children. That is what yep. they used to say in the old days, uh, and, it, and it is still true today. The horse was supplied by a company called Devil's Horseman. Rough name. You know, yeah, oh, just like asking yeah. for trouble. Uh, they said this is their first onset fatality in 50 years of making films and TV shows. First oh, I guess they didn't do uh, the, former, the HBO show Lucky, huh? Well, right. That's what I was about to say. My next point. This is the... Third, how the third HBO original where there's been a horse death because there was also the Gilded Age also had a horse death. Wait, this is set. not an HBO original. No, this isn't. But the two two HBO originals and then and then uh, now show. Lord of the Rings third show. Yes, Luck the horse race one and Gilded Age recently also had a oh, horse death. Oh, Gilded Age had a horse death. And now Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Third, PETA once again calling on Hollywood to stop using live animals in productions. Uh, at this point, they're saying, just just use your computers. You can animate a monster. Animate a fucking horse, you lazy bastards. That's what PETA said. I mean, how are you going to make a, West, a CGI, completely CGI Western called a horse opera. I gotta be honest with you. My natural yeah. inclination as a longtime movie fan, as a as a fan of classic films, is the way they always did it, the real way, fucking put an actor on a horse, send him out there, and film him with a camera. But at this point, 
Marvel is just throwing actors on, into a cube and everything around them is animated. It does seem kind of antiquated, the idea that we have to torment these animals to make a movie. Yeah, I mean, yes. You could but that, probably But then I just... always feel better when I see, oh, no animal was harmed during the filming of this. Now, let me ask you this, well, Lon. most of the time it works out and the animals aren't... Well, that means they don't die, but we don't know if the animals enjoy the act of making a movie. They probably don't. You know, give them a sugar cube afterwards. Give him a carrot and a sugar cube. He'll be all right. Now, I mean, but, look, look, though, if it's the same to the horse, it would probably just enjoy hanging out in the shade and not having to act for a yes. living, you know, but like... You're right. Well, listen, do animals enjoy being eaten either, you know? Uh, and let me ask you this: Does yeah, Lord of the Rings? Enough. Do- I mean, I have a hard time making an argument. I, I enjoy doing it, but I have a hard time making a real clear argument in favor of it. Does Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, have to put a disclaimer on their show now that says not only were animals harmed, uh, uh, an animal fucking croaked? I don't know. I don't know. There was an American Humane Society had a veterinarian on set who said all protocols were followed. This horse just fucking croaked, you know? like Did he give the horse mouth to mouth? Dead horse, man. <laughs> I like to picture him like pounding on the horse's chest like, no! Am I going to have to shred my script that I was about to go out and start pitching? Uh, about a horse that plays Major League Baseball called a horse in the bullpen. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's called a heavy viral load of... Uh... When a heavy viral load of, of from a Major League Baseball player goes into a horse, that horse starts playing for the Seattle Mariners. <laughs> House jokes are taking the scenic route on this episode. Listen, folks. I get there eventually. <laughs> they're taking the they're taking the long way around. They're stopping by the outlook of the bay. They're taking some photos. There's a guy who's got a monkey. He'll put it on your shoulder. You can snap a pic for 20 bucks. Yeah, listen. It's a leisurely trot. You'll get there eventually. That's the that's the scam they get you with when you... We took a, I took a Caribbean cruise, and when you get out and you do the little tour, there's yes. guys who just, like, they just, like, throw a monkey onto you and take a picture because they're like, well, now you got to give me... 10 bucks for the picture. I You already have the monkey on you. What are you going to do in this situation? Those characters on Hollywood Boulevard are the same way. Yeah, it's like they're those guys, but imagine if Superman also just had a, monk, a trained monkey he would just, like, chuck at you. Oh, it, is it uh, Gleek? What? Gleek. What's Gleek? From Super Friends, the Wonder Twins oh, monkey. Oh, you're right. Yes, you're right. That's that, a time was, when Superman I, actually interacted I was, with a monkey. I was thinking a, a fan of the show Glee was a Gleek, and I was like, what does this have to do? I mean, obviously, i a uh, huge Gleek here, but uh, sure, sure. what does that have to do with anything? All right. You know, just, just more scenic route for you, Lon. Yeah, wow. Another one. Threw me a scenic route while we were already on the scenic route. We're going way out of our way. <laughs> yeah, we're taking... We're, we're taking a whole extra afternoon and seeing the Grand Canyon on this tour. Reprogram the GPS. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> uh, novelist Jeff Wilson has filed a lawsuit against the Netflix YA drama Outer Banks this week. He claims the plot is too similar to his novel Queen Anne's Revenge to be purely coincidental. Both the book and the show center on teens in North Carolina living on the Outer Banks. Uh, and they are searching for a legendary lost treasure in the area. Now, here's why I bring this story up. Here's why I think this is so interesting. This sure. is the second novelist who has sued Netflix 
over the show Outer Banks. In 2016, a different guy named Kevin Wooten filed a similar claim saying the show was too similar to his book to be a coincidence. That case was dismissed by a judge over lack of evidence. But here's my question. Yeah. Once multiple people are suing the same show saying it ripped off their idea, isn't that basically like everybody admitting it's just a, a common idea? Yeah. It wasn't your idea because that other guy had it. You make a good point, Lon. It's like uh, it speaks to the zeitgeist or something. Like, like it seems oh. to me if you're the judge, I could be like, well, this idea obviously was out in the air. There was another book about where a different guy had that same idea. Maybe it's just not. And then I, I looked at it like there, there are legendary lost treasures along the coastline of the U.S. because there, there used to be a lot of maritime pirate commerce kind of activity. It's only logical that there would have been sunken ships that had valuables on them off the coast of uh, North Carolina. So, of course, it's not that rare an idea. The Goonies is about kids looking for treasure. They all ripped off the Goonies line. Right. The Goonies is like kids looking for treasure, legendary pirate treasure in their neighborhood. Like, shut. basically, my message to all these novelists, shut the fuck up. It's just a common idea. Yeah, the creators of Outer Banks just said, what if we did Goonies, but with stone cold hotties? Mm-hmm. That legitimately is basically the pitch for. Uh, I've never, I've never watched Outer Banks. I, I have not, that, uh, I have not watched either. The one the... woman from from Knives Out, Glass Onion. Right, Glass it? Onion. Then Madison, uh, but what's her? Madeline Klein. She's yes. in, she's in that that Outer Banks show. Hal, there's a lot of debate over this Power Rangers reunion special. I don't, I don't know if you've, uh, if you've seen the trailer. Once and always, it's they're getting multiple different generations of Power Rangers together for a new adventure. Rita Repulsa's got a new body. She's coming back to Earth, raising hell, and of course the old ass Power Rangers have to get their spandex suits out of retirement and uh, come face off against this, this new menace. Uh, but anyway, so we got two Wait, of the power. Pause yeah. one thing. Is it Jump set, in. so that setup sounds essentially like it's uh, Spider-Man No Way Homing all the Power Rangers casts? Yeah, kind of. I mean, it's it's not a multiverse because even in their own reality, there's multiple generations of Power right. Rangers. Right. So. They, they don't have to jump between universes for a, dip, a bunch of different Power Rangers to get together. But it's really they just had to mix and match because a bunch of Power Rangers didn't want to come back. So some of the first generation Power Rangers came back, but both uh, Jason David Frank, the original Green Ranger, who who passed away in November 2022, uh, RIP to nice him. Nice guy. I met him at conventions before. Yeah, I, I met him as well. Very nice guy. Was very sad to hear that news. Uh, also, the original Pink Ranger, Amy Jo Johnson, uh, she also declined. She is alive and well. She declined to come back. Uh, mm. So anyway, this is where we get to the controversy this week. Apparently, fans have been suggesting and uh, rumors have been spreading that Amy Jo Johnson refused to come back because Netflix didn't offer her enough money. Uh, she jumped on Twitter this week to say her reasons were her own. She had personal reasons for not wanting to come back. It wasn't strictly financial, though she did add that she never strictly said no. She just rejected Netflix's initial offer and they never came back to her with another offer. Uh -huh. She also says prior to his death, because they shot this last year, she said Jason David Frank also had declined to participate prior to his death in November. So okay. neither of them were going to be in it. Uh, 
We don't know why. Maybe she's just too old to want to put back on the spandex suit and be a Power Ranger again. Mm. Who knows? Who knows? Lon, uh, I'll tell you what. I've, I haven't watched too much Power Rangers, uh, to be perfectly frank with you. But I've lived it in as much as I was an extra in uh, some Power Rangers TV shows back in the late 90s, early 2000s uh, when I first got to California. That is interesting to me because, uh, so my assumption is they don't film the action scenes. Those were taken from a Japanese show. You're only filming the like high school scenes where they're like at the, at the malt shop, right? Or were you no, filming? No, no, there was some action scenes. There, there were monsters like, and yeah, stuff? Yeah, there was a guy in a monster costume and oh. there were some Power Rangers hopping around and we were like, oh no, the city's under attack. Take cover. Oh, interesting, because I thought, uh, you know, they call those uh, tokusatsu shows, that whole genre, like Ultraman and Super Sentai and all those shows that Power Rangers is lifting from. Mm -hmm. And I always assumed that almost all the, if their masks are down and they're in the the costumes and they're fighting the monsters, that's the stuff taken from Japan. Uh, And then we're making the stuff where they're, they're out of their costumes and they're hanging out. I can't speak for all of the incarnations and versions and episodes of this uh, one version of the show I was on, but uh, there was some action happening oh, while well, I was there. Oh, there you go. Oh, good, good, good for you. I'm glad. Well, uh, Hal played a sludge monster on Power Rangers. Not a lot of people know that. Toxic um, sludge, sludge monster. monster with quite a viral load. Oh boy, there it is. Brought it back around. So, so look out for that. That's coming soon. I think that's in a week or two for all you, uh, all you. The thing is, here's the thing about getting old. That that yeah. is one of the grimmest parts. Is when is when uh, pop culture like laps you. Like mm-hmm. you were too old for something the first time around, and then the wave of nostalgia for it <laughs> hits. Like the kids who enjoyed it in the first place are now old enough to be like they love it again, and you're like, man, I I have now missed this thing twice. The two biggest ones, we're talking about both of them today, sneak preview, Power Rangers, Uh Pokemon. I was too old the first time around. I was already in high school for Power Rangers and Pokemon, like, snide, like, kid stuff, bleh, never mind. And uh, now it's, like, big again. Like, all those kids are 30 now and love it a second time. And I'm still like I don't what I don't know the Pokemon I can't tell them apart. Oh yeah, uh, it's like too uh, too old the first time, way too old the second yeah, time. In a weird geez. way, oh life, it feels stop bad. passing me by. It feels bad. All right, let's move on. Uh, Eddie Redmayne signed on to star in Peacock's new adaptation of The Day of the Jackal. Now this was a this was a book. Then it was a memorable 70s movie. You seen that 70s movie, huh? Day of the Jackal? Yeah, a, a long time ago about the sniper, the assassin. Yes, it's about a it's about an attempted assassination on French President Charles de Gaulle in mm-hmm. 1962. But this new version, we're going to update it to the present day. So it's still going to be about a an elite international assassin trying to take out a political figure, but we'll update it to the modern world, and that's going to be a remake Redman. of the. There was a remake of the uh, of the movie with, with Richard Gere and Richard Bruce Gere. Willis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Bruce Willis was the jackal, and Richard Gere was the guy uh, chasing him down. So we don't know. We don't know who's tracking the jackal in this one, but they said it's going to be more from the jackal's perspective, uh, sort of psychological about him as a character, and he's going to be Eddie Redmayne. Uh, and it comes from Ronan Bennett, the creator and head writer of Top Boy, is uh, taking over. Oh, sure. He'll be doing the Day of the Jackal show. 
you know, it, it seems like Eddie Redmayne, I feel like he and like Hillary Swank, they both won two Oscars, right? Hillary Swank, definitely. Eddie Redmayne, I think only theory of everything. Did he win for the Danish girl? He was nominated. But I don't, did he win for that? Here, I'll, I'm gonna I'll look that look up. This up but I'm gonna see. look that up. Okay. Uh, consecutive nominations, but no, he, he was nominated two years in a row, but he only won for Theory of Everything. Ah, uh, okay. It just seems like he uh, kind of like disappeared into the, you know, into the woodwork here and uh, it, it doesn't get enough yeah. cred. I mean, he makes, uh, he makes some offbeat choices he was he was in that there was a movie he was in last year called the good nurse with jessica chastain a netflix movie that i actually thought was pretty good it Uh just didn't end up getting any it's the sort of movie you could totally see getting buzz in like an alternate reality where it gets nominated for some awards but it just didn't happen in our reality so you're saying in the multiverse it was nominated i'm saying it's Andrea Riseborough's fault. She stole uh, its place. No, I'm kidding. Blame her for everything. Uh, no, of course I'm just joking. It's just, you know, one of those things that, that it's not his turn, but I'm sure he'll have another turn at some point. Obviously, Jupiter Ascending, one of the one of the all-time great uh, villain turns, so ah, gotta yes. give him big credit for that one. Uh, the next Walking Dead spinoff, Dead City, comes to AMC and AMC Plus in June. This I'm one over follows. it. I'm over it. Oh, wow. He's done. How's done, folks? I mean, this is, listen, if you're AMC, you had the Albuquerque-verse, but now Better Call Saul is done. Mm-hmm. So that, you don't you don't have that franchise anymore. No. Nope. What else have you got? You know, you, you need you need something reliable. You need your you need your go to. Yeah. There's no and, Mad and, Men spinoff happening. So they probably see the success of the of Last of Us and are like, oh, people are not done with dystopia. And and I mean, I don't think people are necessarily done with dystopia. But no, because uh, we live in a fucking dystopia, Lon. But I but I feel like you're you're. Your sentiment is pretty widespread. This was, bear in mind, Walking Dead was still one of the top shows on cable when it went off the air. So mm-hmm. we're still talking about a powerful, meaningful, uh, highly visible, well-known franchise. Sure. But yeah, I think I think there is a little Walking Dead fatigue out there. So we'll we'll see how much longer this goes on. Uh, so this this show, of course, is Negan and Maggie. They're uh, venturing through uh, undead New York on a mission to save Maggie's son Herschel. Uh, of course, Negan, he's the one who murdered Maggie's husband, Glenn, Herschel's father. But I, I guess he had a change of heart over the yeah, years. Yeah, I guess he had you a know? turn like, and like his his baseball bat Lucille became used for the side of good. Yeah, but Is he's still, still wearing a, his trademark neckerchief. It's still kind of a it's a it's a it's a Shaw Fast and Furious level tough sell for me that she would be like teaming up with him now. But anyway, uh, six episode series. It comes from a bunch of Walking Dead people are still working on this one. Now, this is one of three Walking Dead spinoffs still to come in the near future. We got this one. Then we've got the Daryl Dixon one that Norman Reedus is working on. That's coming out later this year. Motorcycling through the apocalypse. And then there's yet another one that they're planning that's coming out next year with Andrew Lincoln and Danae Guerrera. The, the, the Rick and Michonne one is still to come. Oh, so he's still alive? Like he left, and but he's still alive? 
Well, I think didn't back. we at some point they jumped way into the future and there was like old man Rick. So he he lives to be. I think we've established he lives to be an yeah. old man. How'd they explain him leaving the show? Did he just like, I'm going on my own. I'm going on my own, Carl. Cor no, Carl died. Carl died. Oh, Coral died. Coral. Yeah. So after Carl died, I think Rick left. Mm. And now that'll be presumably what the Rick and Michonne show is. It's like where where Rick went. Gotcha, gotcha. I do like I do like that Denai Guerrero. So that right, Rick and Michonne are getting their own spin-off. Daryl's getting a spin-off. It was gonna be Daryl and Carol, but then the the Carol actress she she left. So mm. now it's just Daryl. Uh, so yeah, it's a lot. I I think that's probably too much. I think they should have done what HBO is doing, which is develop a lot of Game of Thrones spin-offs. But then right. just cherry pick only the best ones actually make it to TV. You know, they 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 like cut that one that was going to have Naomi Watts and like mm -hmm. they're being very judicious about which ones get on TV. And I feel like maybe AMC should be doing the same, like develop all these ideas, but then only go to go to market with the ones that really work out the best. We'll see. Right. It's a lot of Walking Dead. Too much Walking Dead. Uh DVD. Dead City coming coming in June. Uh, HBO is developing a scripted series about uh, Hollywood Madam Heidi Fleiss, the staircase uh, yes. vet Maggie Cohn writing the scripts now with input from Fleiss herself as a consultant. Of course, she ran a high-class prostitution ring in Los Angeles in the 1980s and early 90s, and her clientele. We've never gotten the full accounting, I don't think, but... It was uh, celebrities and big directors, Hollywood big shots, well, star athletes, this, and on and on and on. She was romantically linked to, uh, you know, I was reminded of this uh, due to the passing of one of my favorite 90s character actors, Tom Sizemore. They were an item yes, for a while. Yes, they were. You are correct. They were an yep. item for a while. That's right. Uh, R.I.P. Tom Sizemore. R.I.P. Tom Sizemore. Great. Yeah, so she and left out of the uh, Oscars in memoriam, but maybe they're saying it was too soon. It was very soon. And, I mean, listen, you got, when you're talking Sizemore, a legendary career in a ton of great movies. Had, had a few years there in the 90s where he was in two or three classics a year, not the best guy. A, a, a very troubled guy, uh, a domestic abuser. Yeah. A guy who had a lot of problems in his life. So, you know, not yeah. maybe not the guy they were gonna like, we're gonna stop everything, freeze the in memoriam, we gotta get Sizemore in this bad boy. Like, I feel like, but, you know, if it was a beloved, sainted guy everybody was crazy about, maybe they would have made more of an effort. But. There are so many bastards that have, you know, um, roamed the halls of I mean, they uh, left out Hollywood. Anne Heche. What did she do? I mean, she ran her car into some lady's house, but everybody was fine. Except Anne Heche. Yeah, I know. She, no, she was clearly troubled. She had, she had, uh, she yeah, had but not a, but like, issues. why leave her out of the in memoriam? She had a huge yeah, career. Yeah, why, no, exactly. No, there were se there were a few egregious. She ones. was the juror, folks. The juror. Oh God! Seven How days, are you gonna leave nights. out the juror? Uh, anyway, last story: the latest season of Pokemon debuted this week on Japanese TV with one crucial difference. Mm. Everybody's naked. No, that's ridiculous. Oh, that, would not that show they is wouldn't do that. It's for children. The adults. Uh, no, it's no Ash Ketchum, the lead character. Oh. Trainer Ash Ketchum, he's gone, not dead, just not on the show. 
The new season called Pokemon Horizons, it centers on Pikachu traveling the world with two new trainers, Liko and Roy, in a steampunk airship. Uh, this is the first ever oh. season without Ash as a main character. The creative team has suggested, still in the mix, could return to the franchise at some point down the road, just not starring in this season of TV. I had heard that um, the reason Ash wasn't in it was because he finally caught them all, and by caught them all, uh, I mean the diseases, and then he died. Wow, that's a grim final season for the Pokemon show. Yes. Ash I don't even, do humans even get sick in the Pokemon verse? I've never seen that happen. No, I think life is a bowl of cherries for a human. Yeah, in the things seem pretty but, much just like it. All, everybody's always just focused on Pokemon all the time, as far as I can tell. There's no life outside of what's happening with po in the world of Pokemon. They're very single-minded. Yeah, I, I want to know uh, how does Misty? Uh, what like how does she pay her car note? Well, it's like Pokemon. They all, they're, that's their job. They all oh, okay. work, work in the Pokemon circuit or what have you. Gotcha. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's like, uh, like Dragon Ball Z where it's just like, you know, they're, they're all very focused on fighting and power-ups, but then, you know, people have jobs and there's like companies and stores and stuff like that doesn't really seem, I don't, I don't feel like Pokemon is like that. I feel like every conversation is like, what's up with them Pokemon? Let's fight. You know, it's funny. In Pokemon, there's a lot of dealing with the Pokemon. I just mean it doesn't feel like any world or reality for them exists outside of Pokemon fighting. Whereas in a traditional anime show, that you know, they're like, they're going to competitive culinary academy. But, you know, they go on a date. You know, like you got you got friends. Like there's, there's life outside of the thing that the show is about. Mm. Even like Demon Slayer, it's like occasionally they'll go get like a nice bowl of ramen and uh, have a discussion about how their lives are going. Chainsaw Man has like crushes and he, he uh, an apartment and you know, like Pokemon. No, it's just like we got to get out there and fight these fucking Pokemon. There you have it, folks. Two old white men discussing Pokemon. Hope you've enjoyed that. You can find more of that behind the paywall. No, never again. I'm never going to Juan, is that all for the news? That's it. That's all the news there is in the world. Coming up, we've watched some programs that we're excited to talk to you about. Welcome back, Lon. You know what? I, let's also say welcome back to Perry Mason, Matthew Reese, the titular character in the not second season. Not a real guy. Season. We don't have to say welcome back. He's not real. The He's second fictional. season. Well, welcome back because it's the, it's the second season, so it's back. Uh, it's been back for a few weeks. Oh, I get what you're saying. Okay. HBO, Perry Mason. Uh, you know, I, I'll say this. I liked the first season. I've, I'm enjoying the second season even more. This is a well-crafted show. I mean, one, that's one thing that I've re that really stood out to me as I'm watching this. The old Hollywood, the old Los Angeles of this show is beautifully photographed. I mean, all of the the buildings, the um, the, the lighting, the the moodiness of the noir in this show—it's gorgeous. This is a gorgeous GD show, Lon. Yes, I I agree with that. Sure. Uh, yeah, it's a great it's a great looking show. It's a cool Los Angeles show. I mean, if you're from Los Angeles, I think there's a particular appeal in them sort of bringing this old L.A. 
vibe to life. Uh, what I really enjoy about it, too, is the way that it's like, it's kind of, it's political, it's doing social commentary, it's really about class, it's about race, it's about a lot of this stuff, but it's not, it's not banging you over the head with it. It doesn't feel like that's what the show is about, capital A, it feels like that's all playing in, but it's really about these characters and the mystery and the week-to-week tension of it and that balance is is not an easy thing to do and they're doing a really good job of it especially this year where it feels relevant but it doesn't feel like oh boy here goes perry mason tackling the issues again you know yeah no i i absolutely hear you on this because it's taking place in the 1930s or uh 20s 30s of no, very right. it's the 30s non-politically correct time but it is broaching with a deft hand, um, you know, same-sex, uh, you know, romantic issues, uh, people of color, and where they stand in society. And it's not, uh, you know, uh, giving it, like, this, uh, you know, it's not glossing over it. It's giving you a point of view that is true to the time, but is also up with, you know, today's, uh, you know, views on various issues. And, and it's a thoughtful exploration. In yeah, I think it, it, it's doing that, that like the best L.A. noir and the best sort of neo-noir stuff kind of does, where it's sort of using the mystery in that side of the narrative to really explore, you know, the real history of the city and the, the real sort of socio-political threads that made L.A. what it is today. And uh, in, in that kind of a you know, James Elroy kind of mm-hmm. way, uh, Walter Mosley, who did Devil in a Blue Dress and all those Easy Rollins books kind of explores a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Chinatown, of course, being like a really famous example. Long yeah. Goodbye. And like, I feel like this really cleanly fits into that that sort of mode in that world. And a lot of this is drawn from real L.A. history as well. Sure. A- absolutely. Um, and you can go back to like, you know, even um, Raymond Chandler. I revisited uh, Double Indemnity, uh, the great film noir with Fred McMurray and Barbara Stanwyck recently, Billy Wilder. And I had some of the same enjoyment, the same pleasure of being an Angelino watching that old Los Angeles story because they're mentioning streets in Double Indemnity. Like, oh, it's right around the corner from Vermont and Franklin. I'm like, gee, I used to live right over there. You can picture it, right. Or you hear, I mean, even characters' names where, you know, they're they're places now. Like, there's there's a guy named, you know, Roebling, and that's a street now. There's, you know, like like Mm -hmm. that. L.A. history is so baked in because it it was all such a short period of time when all this stuff came together not that long ago. And I will say, I really like Matthew Reese as this perpetually exhausted, hard-boiled lawyer, attorney, but uh, slash detective because he does so much of his own investigating and um, his uh, and his partner Della Street. It's really fun to watch. I feel like um, this season, uh, even more than the last season, which I enjoyed, is you know Matthew Reese's character is that much more compelling, and the storytelling is really intricate. It'll drop little. Uh, you'll meet a character, or you'll see something, and then they'll bring it back one or two episodes later. So it it rewards the viewer in that way with intricate, nicely woven storytelling. 
and uh, and it's a good whodunit as well. And yeah, I'm really enjoying the hell out of this season of Perry Mason for you know for all of the above reasons. Long. If you haven't watched season one, you're probably going to want to watch that first. I mean, I, I think you don't have to. You could jump in. It's a different case as long as you sort of the it first is. episode. You got to just kind of accept like. You know, just go with the references to season one. and But it, there's not a lot of that. And, and it's certainly not plot-wise jumping back and forth a lot. Like, it's an all-new story this year. Yeah, in season one, you do get a fun performance from She-Hulk, Tatiana, what's her Maslany. name? Maslany. Maslany. Um, yeah, uh, so worth checking out. Season one was good. But yeah, season two, it just, it's really hitting these beats of like great noir and uh i'm enjoying the heck of it yeah perry mason hbo and then if you want to do a deep dive go check out the old raymond burr perry mason you can compare and contrast uh, a classic show from way back when that was brought back in the 80s for a bunch of tv movies i i sort of feel like after this is done like after they're done with their take on perry mason they should do one more season of just episodic like put put matthew reese give him a little belly and just have him do one season of the old school type show, you know, where it's like, this is who, this is how he ended up. There you go. Because <laughs> this is a, this is basically a prequel to the Raymond Burr Perry Mason. Like, that's, he's already an old, long-time defense attorney yes. in that show. And this is the beginning of his law career. So you could reasonably end this show where that show begins. I think that would be a funny full circle moment. Not since uh, Newhart uh, ended. Uh, or, there you uh, go. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. Lon and I both watched a film that is available right now on Hulu, Boston Strangler. Zodiac 2. Zodiac <laughs> goes Boston. Yeah. Now, um, when you we were talking about this before the show. Loose in Beantown. Zodiac returns. So um, break down uh, for the folks uh, why uh, you feel uh, the similarities. Oh, that it's resonated. so blatant. It's so blatant. There are entire scenes that this movie just lifts directly from Zodiac. Wow. I need, to I, I need to rewatch Zodiac because it's, it's one of my favorite finchers. I haven't seen it in a while. There is a scene where Kira Knightley suspects this guy is like somehow caught up in these Boston strangling murders. And right. she just takes it upon herself to just go to his apartment and visit him. And he's this kind of creepy guy and he opens the door and he's like, hey, come in, come in. And he's leading her down this like long, weird hallway mm -hmm. and he's very suspicious and the tension is slowly mounting. And then suddenly she just hits the point where she just reaches her limit and she's like, it's not worth me potentially getting strangled over. And she yep. just makes up some excuse and sort of like humiliated, bolts out the door and all the way to her car. Yeah, it's like, oh, I gotta go. I left the oven on. Bye-bye. Hyperventilating and finally makes it into her car to safety. That happens. That's Jake Gyllenhaal does that in Zodiac. He goes and it's Charles Fleischer, the, the actor who voices Roger Rabbit, who yeah. leads him into the, the basement and they're looking at the posters and then he just gets creeped out. This guy might be the Zodiac and he runs out and it's like, I mean, it is really, to me, there becomes a certain point where it sort of stops being an homage or a riff and it just becomes like, well, you're kind of just lifting ideas from David Fincher. And we've all seen Zodiac. What's the point? Why revisit these ideas that obviously you're not going to get credit for? They're, they're David Fincher's ideas. Even the lighting and the cinematography looks very much like Zodiac. 
and the whole way that the story is told of it's like we're learning about this killer but through the people who become obsessed with the case and mm-hmm. and the inscrutability and the the fact that none of the pieces ever link up and and the the unknowableness of of it and, and on some level where it makes you even question like well why is it so important to these people to untangle this this impossible to untangle mystery and what are they getting out of it and all of that stuff is exactly what zodiac's approach is so I mean, I don't mean to say this is like a terrible movie. Like, I enjoyed watching it. Kira Knightley and Carrie Coon, I thought, were both very good. Same. And I think there is an angle here which is interesting, which is the, you know, the, the perspective of these two women reporters at a time when big newspapers were a total boys club. And all the, not only all the clever things they had to do to get the story, which right. would normally be this kind of movie. This It is a journalism reporting movie on on, on one level. Yeah, it gives the spotlight treatment. Right, but it had, the they had to be doubly clever case. because they, they also had to be clever about the ways to navigate their office and the other people working there to get on the story and to stay on the story and to not lose the story. I thought it did, like we talk about some of the way Perry Mason handled some of the politics of the time. I thought this did a nice job of letting you know about, yeah, the boys club of the newsroom. Women uh, showed how women uh, were only on the fashion or the lifestyle sections. And then also the politics of the police department. Like there are some, like how how much being uh, essentially uh, bootlickers uh, restrain them from holding the police accountable for bad policing and not solving these crimes and letting the, this stuff run rampant. So I, I thought it it dealt with a lot of the uh, the machinations of the, of the the political engines at the time pretty well, and just a, a couple of things that also bumped on me. Again, like you, I didn't love it. I, I liked it. I enjoyed watching it. I felt like there were so many great character actors in this. People that I love, like uh, Davis, David Desmalkian, um, Chris Cooper, Bill Camp. Sure. Yeah, there's lots of there's lots of good little little parts that were not given enough to play with. It's like you got these great horses. What are you why are you leaving them in the stable? Like Bill Camp showed up like three times, was angry and left. Like that guy's so good. Give him a little more. Or David Dasmalkian, like that guy, he's great in everything he's in and he's awesome at playing a creep, but he was, they barely gave him anything to do and his character could have been so much more, uh, so more satisfyingly utilized here. I mean, yeah, this is why you don't rip David Fincher because well, he's going to do it better than you anyway. Like, what's the? Well, you're not going to top David Fincher at at the most David Finchery David Fincher movie nope. that ever David Finchered. Like, why <laughs> try? True. Like, put your own spin on it. So, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, to me, on some level, this is like guaranteed to be kind of disappointing just because it's not Zodiac. Let me ask you one more question, Lon. Do you feel like the film was too restrained or did it do just enough in its uh, depiction of the crimes 
and crime scenes and everything. It's kind of like the anti-Dahmer, I felt. Yeah, no, I, I don't mind that. I, I mm-hmm. think that, I think that it, again, it, it made sense for the story that they're telling, which is it's not about the cops. It's not about the murderer. It's about the journalists. And so, so they're, they're kind of yeah. always, they're always going to be like kind of hearing about this second and third hand. Like, Journalists don't go hang out on the crime scene and stare at the bodies. Right. They, maybe if they're allowed on the crime scene, it's just to talk to the police officers about their reactions and their ideas. And so I think it, it, it does make some amount of sense that you wouldn't be reveling in the gory details of the right. murders because you're looking at it from the POV of people who don't have that opportunity anyway. They're always just going to be imagining what happened. Uh, on that's that a good level. way to frame it. That's a good way to frame it because that's the perspective we're viewing it through. And, and yeah, I think it, it it opens it up to a broader audience that may not because it's not a horror film. It's not a serial killer movie, so I don't think you're looking for a yeah. Even though it's about a series of murders, but I don't think you're looking for a gore hound audience. I think you're looking for an audience that likes political thrillers and conspiracy yeah, movies and uh, journalism historical movies uh, and, explorations. Right, right. There are Boston Strangler movies that revel a little bit more in like the yeah. gross, you know. The the Salva Brothers stuff. You know, you you hit the main thing. It, the way that Kieran Knightley and Carrie Coon w- work uh, together on this, their chemistry and the story and the framing of two like two women being able to do this at a time where women were uh, uh, brushed aside and not given the opportunities journalistically. That is pretty well done, even though there are some familiar notes in the story. Uh, I have no regrets watching it whatsoever. And I I love Carrie Coon. I love everything she's in since The Leftovers when she was kind of a revelation. Um, I, I'm a big fan of hers. There you go. Boston Strangler, Hulu. You can check it out if you're so inclined. Finally. You're allowed. You're allowed. <laughs> we've watched uh, one more show, Swarm, on Amazon. Juan. Uh, I, I, this is an interesting show. It's, it's got a lot of different notes and flavors in it. I, I was, I was thinking about it because there's so much I like about it. There's a little bit that I wish it had, but I I would describe it as King of Comedy meets, uh, Atlanta by way of Dexter. Sure. I, 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 here's, I think it's a, I think it's a bad show with a really good, character and performance at its center. Like, I I can't help but feel that that Dominique Fishback, is that her name? Yes. I believe it is. Yeah. I can't help but feel that she just deserves better. Like, she's giving it 110%. It's a, it's a fun character. And the trappings of the show are really fun. But I don't feel like the show has much to say about this character or even a lot of insight into this character. I just feel like it's just kind of, hey, look at this character we made up. She's fucking crazy. This is weird. And like, that's kind of that's kind of it. Like, I don't I'm not finished with the show. I'm only about halfway. Through. Yeah, I've watched five episodes. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to finish it. They're only like, you know, 30 minutes or so. Yeah, and I think there's only size. seven of them. It's it's quick. I should have just finished it, but I didn't get around to finishing it. I, 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 I'm enjoying it, but I, it feels so slight and it feels so much like like not like Atlanta, where Atlanta feels so dense. Atlanta, the characters have 
way greater depth, and you get to know Brian Tyree Henry. Yeah, and I just think Atlanta, it, it, it's very thoughtful. There's a lot going on in every episode. There's a lot of ideas, and it, it feels really thought out, worked out Atlanta. And this does not, this feels almost the opposite of that. This feels like throwing a bunch of ideas at the wall and just being like, well, this is a fascinating mix of thoughts and styles and impressions. And and I, it's not that it's not interesting or compelling. I just feel like, eh, you know, at the end of the day, well, what is it? Like, I don't, I don't know if there really feels like there's that much to it. And then I, I've seen, you know, the creators, uh, mean Neighbors and Donald Glover both talking about it. And it's like, I don't even know if they really, like, it doesn't, it feels like it's more about this, the, the sensibility and the tone than it is about real ideas. It's about like fandom is kind of scary in 2023. I I like it a lot more than you. And I think part of that is driven by Dominique Fishback. Her performance is like, she is a woman possessed, really compelling, not a false note in like her, what she's doing. But I think I agree with Lon on kind of his main uh, thrust here that it could be better. The writing does not live up to the performances in the show because because it's not like these things aren't justified. She becomes like, uh, you know, essentially in a nutshell, it's about she's a fan of this fictional artist named Naja, who is uh, essentially an avatar or stand in for Beyonce. She's a Beyonce fan who goes homicidal and goes on this countrywide killing spree. Even that, like, that's the pitch. That's yes. what they keep saying the show is about. But actually, she has a personal reason for going on this rampage. And all the people that she's attacking, mm-hmm. or almost all, are related to her personal issue, not fandom. And so it really is like even the even the core idea of the whole show, which is that it's this exploration of modern fandom and right. how intense and crazy it's become. Even that they're really not committed to. They they came up with this whole personal story to drive the revenge that's not connected to being a fan. And and it's like I, I don't I don't get it. Like why not just have the courage of your convictions and make it about being a fan or why not leave that more into the background and make it more about the revenge that she's actually getting? Like, it just feels like it's not committed to any of these ideas and it's just throwing them all out there. I really like what the show is. I love that it exists. I think this is a great idea, but... But what is the idea? Because it, it, it's like episode to episode... That this fan gets so twisted and creates such this complex fantasy life. But like, let me let me throw this at you. Like, there's yeah. almost it in some ways. It's it's a reverse poker face. It it, it is kind of mm-hmm. episodic. She's constantly going and meeting different groups of people. Yeah, getting involved in their lives, figuring out what's going on with them, and then somebody gets murdered, and she moves on to the next destination, the next episode. Yes, that's a that's apt. And that almost feels to me more like what drives the show than the fan thing. The fan thing almost feels like secondary, and it's really about episode to episode, this woman traveling around on this killing spree who just keeps taking people out, mostly for revenge. I think it can be both things. Well, it can be both things because it is both things. I'm just saying, 
the fact that it's both things instead of picking a thing is inherently like limits what the show is. It's just like it's this kind of jumble. It's that I like I don't think what you're saying is untrue, but I will say mainly for me, yeah, the writing lets down the overall premise and this character because if the writing really served Dominique Fishback, who's a fucking force, and um, I remember her from uh, Judas and the and the Black Messiah, she's uh, really strong. Her performance is great in this, but she could be like a female. Travis Bickle. She could, that's why I compared to the King of Comedy. This character could more be more like Rupert Pupkin. More like a Rupert Pupkin. Oh, yeah, Rupert or Rupert Pupkin. Or um, like this could be this homicidal person who, oh, there's a method to the madness. I get it. I don't agree with it. Like, but she's right, twisted. but there's not a method to the madness. It's just like crazy. But there's not. It's a little too random. The writing lets it down, and it's like, okay, she just arrived in this place, and we're just gonna go along with the this random stuff that just started happening. Like, she broke into this guy's apartment, and he's fine with her being there. It's like stuff that just like we're just supposed to take too much at face value. But meanwhile, she's so good, and I love just the idea of this super fan and social media poisoning people and, like, uh, the breakdown of the parasocial relationship. I think there's a lot to like about this show, but the writing lets it down a little bit. But I'm still, I highly recommend watching it. There you go. Uh, Swarm It is on Amazon. Hey, give it a watch if you want to. What a recommendation. No, I liked it. I liked it, but it's, I agree. It's, it's frustratingly, it could be, it could have been great. Uh, but there you go. Lon, those are the programs we've watched. Uh, hoot, hoot, uh, Owl Nation. Where are the, the hooligans at, Lon? Starburns. Somewhere, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they're flying around in their owl nests. Uh, Starburns Audio, thanks for having us. Uh, Travis Reeves, not Travis Bickle, Travis Reeves, thank you for producing us. Uh, Jason K, thanks for the opening music. Lon, care to share anything with the greater audience at large? Eh, yeah, you, know, you can find me on Twitter at LONS, I guess, for now until Elon bans anyone not paying $50 a month or whatever. Uh, that That's it. That's fine. I'll be on Twitter as well till it's free and Instagram uh, as in, uh, as long as it's free uh, at Hal Rudnick. And if you are on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Hal Rudnick for more fun. Lon, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Folks, thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye now. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys.